Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week we are going to talk about drafting red-green in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. For anyone who would like to be reminded, the uh, there are notes for this podcast that are available at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes if you want to follow along. Those are available to limited guru and above-level patrons of the podcast. Getting right into it. Red-green has the second lowest win rate above red-white. However, it's the least played color pair by a significant margin. It's played 72% as much as straight blue-green, which is the next least played color pair. So very, very, very well below like average. If you look on like the 17 lands recent trophy lists, there are very, very few examples of people uh, earning trophies with red-green since it doesn't win very much and people draft it very rarely. Very, very few trophies compared to other archetypes. I also think that red-green, despite winning more often than red-white, is actually worse. Their win rates are pretty similar, but I think that red-white's win rate is dragged down by the fact that it's a counterintuitive archetype where the like set actively tricks you or misleads you into thinking that you're supposed to draft the archetype in a way that isn't actually the best way to draft it. Whereas red-green, I don't think is so actively misleading. I think that there's some like subtlety to how you draft it. And the way that I would draft it is not necessarily the way that most people draft red-green, but it's not like, here's a mechanic that you're supposed to actively ignore level of kind of like misleading information in the set. So I think that that means that like, once you crack the code on red-white, it's like a fine archetype. And it's just like the stats overall are really bad because most players haven't cracked that code. But with red-green, I think that the code, as it were, or as much as it exists, doesn't really bring you to like some kind of like next level deck that's pretty good. It's just, here's a thing you can do. <laughs> and your cards are still kind of like generally underpowered and it's not as strong as the other archetypes. Like there are synergies, but the synergies just aren't that good. Like A plus B equals a plus one plus one counter or something rather than like a plus b equals uh an endless stream of card advantage for example um and so it's tough for red green and something has to be the weakest in every set uh it's very difficult to perfectly balance 10 or more archetypes and red green just came up a little bit short in this set i think and i think that a vast majority of players agree with me just based on how few of them touch the color pair as a result, I have not drafted red-green very often, and I think it's the only color pair that I have not gotten to seven wins with in my own drafts. This means that my opinions on red-green are not well-evidenced, and that's noteworthy particularly because my opinions are also not rooted in the data. So... The stuff that I think about red-green is purely theoretical and could be wildly off, but I have played this set a lot. I've played against a wide variety of uh, decks. I've played plenty of decks against red-green on rare occasions, and I feel like I've seen when red-green is doing powerful things versus when it isn't. So disclaimer, but you know, I'm saying the things that I'm going to be saying about red-green for a reason, just want to be very transparent about where I'm coming from. So 
that disclaimer acknowledged, I believe that Red-Green really wants to lean into being an aggressive deck. Arguably the most aggressive in the format. I think it wants a really low curve, similar to the discussion about Red-Blue. You don't have Ninjutsu taking up extra mana here, but you do still have Reconfigure. And I think that you just really want to be about punishing people for not having good enough early defenses and using the fact that green creatures are a little overstatted to just be good at attacking. And you really want to lean into just like making good attacks starting on turn two, three. Well, starting on turn two, ideally, it's really good to have a one drop and then like appreciably hard hitting attacks on turns three, four, five. And then having some like removal and tricks and whatever to stop your opponent from stabilizing so you can keep attacking and closing the game early. And that's why I say that red-green basically does what it presents as wanting to do. It looks aggressive, it is. And that's where it's like nowhere near as like wildly divergent as red-white. The thing that I think is different about how I'm approaching red-green from how other players seem to approach red-green is... I'm more serious about it. Specifically, I think that there are a lot of kind of strong five and six mana green cards, and some of the one drops don't look that strong or don't have amazing stats and don't get played that much. And I think that my curve in a red green deck would probably be close to two full mana cost lower than the average red green deck. If the average red green decks curve is an average of like i don't know if it if four or mine would be an average of two maybe the average red green the average red green deck probably isn't all the way to four but i also I, I would be happy to have an average that's a little bit below two so probably not a full two below average but appreciably shifted toward cheaper cards i really want a lot of copies of iron apprentice and simeon sling in particular as far as commons go and then I'm also really actively looking for like voltage surge to a lesser extent, experimental synthesis. And then like, you know, Kami's Flare, Jukai Trainee, Foiling Stalker, Aki Ember Keeper. I, I see as I see those things as kind of like the backbone of the deck. And then, you know, Jukai Preserver um, is a nice bonus. I know that I was throwing out a lot of card names of cards. Late in the format, they're commons, but I am going to try to go over that a little slower and spell out what all the cards are. But broadly speaking, what I'm saying is I want to fill my deck with cheap creatures. And so let's let's talk about, for example, Coiling Stalker. Coiling Stalker is the one green, that's one colorless, one green, two one ninja that when it hits the opponent, puts a plus one, plus one counter on itself or another creature, has ninjutsu for one and a green. This card has really, really bad stats. There is no, there's nothing that I can point to like on 17 lands that suggests the idea that Coiling Stalker is a creature that you would want to put in any deck. However, I believe that its stats aren't very good because most players don't play very many one drops in their red green decks. And 
I want to have like six one mana creatures in my deck so that I can regularly ninjutsu my Coiling Stalker into play on turn two, and then like have a three two that's threatening to grow, to put a counter on the next creature that I play, and that is a creature that's kind of like come into play modifying itself so that it's enabling uh, like Air of the Ancient Fang, which is the three mana three two that comes into play with a plus one plus one counter if you control a modified creature. So I, I want to be able to use Coiling Stalker early as a way to get a modified creature down and then threaten to modify my other creatures. And I think Coiling Stalker is really bad if you don't have like four or more one drops. But I think that if you do, it's pretty reasonable. Outside of Coiling Stalker, I think Jukai Trainee, that's the one in a green, two, two. It gets plus one, plus one whenever it blocks or is blocked is a pretty reasonable, aggressive creature. It's difficult for your opponent to block. It doesn't hit super hard, but it hits hard enough. And then it's like pretty good to grow because your opponent still, like it fights a little bit better than it says. So if you're just trying to push damage through, if you put counters on it, it's more likely to push damage through. It has like a green version of evasion in that it has an ability that has no effect other than to punish blocking when you're attacking with it. And anything that punishes blocking is a form of pseudo evasion. So Jukai Trainee can be thought of as having a soft evasive keyword, which anytime you have a soft evasive, an evasive keyword, it might be a good place to put extra stats on to just be a way to more reliably push damage. Aki Ember Keeper is the 2-1 enchantment creature that when a modified creature dies, you make a 1-1 spirit. It plays pretty well with Simeon Sling in particular because Simeon Sling likes to go on a creature, bash, push some damage or whatever, trade up or whatever, and then you get another creature that you can put Simeon Sling on, get another attack, push some more damage. So basically what I find with the really low curve red-green decks that I've played just a couple of times is I play a bunch of early creatures that are very good at, like, having most of them end up being modified because some of them are iron apprentices sometimes my iron apprentices die and put counters on things my coiling stalkers put counters on stuff my simian slings turn things without counters into modified creatures air of the ancients is a modified creature you end up with a bunch of modified creatures and you push a bunch of damage and then your opponent like plays some kind of blocker and then you're like, well, I have this Aki Ember Keeper, so I can just attack with everything. I'll push a bunch of damage. Something will die, but I'll get a 1-1 to replace it. And it just kind of helps you like swarm and push more damage and not lose as much from like your alpha attacks and let you kind of go wide late. So Ember Keeper gives you like some nice late game strength. And you also can end up in this weird spot if you have multiple Ember Keepers, where when a mod modified creature die dies it like explodes into multiple creatures and then that can really lead to this like go wide thing so all three of those commons uh, i'm pretty happy with as far as aggressive two drops go the one cheap creature that i haven't mentioned is fang of shigeki that's the one one death touch death touch uh a snake ninja i realized recently that it was a ninja i was informed had missed that doesn't matter much of the time particularly in red green but there it is fang of shigeki actually has better stats than most of these cheap creatures in red green but again that's because most people are drafting their red green decks as mid-range decks which i do not recommend part of my not recommending mid-range drafting as a mid-range deck is just like if a deck has really bad stats you probably don't want to draft it the same way that everyone else is because they're not winning with it so at least try something else to try to fix the problem rather than just accepting the problem 
And the solution here is just a solution that makes sense to me. I've implemented, oh, if I'm trying to be aggressive, I should just substantially lower my curve a lot of times in a lot of formats to reasonable success. So anyway, Fang and Shigeki, good stats in the mid-range red-green decks, worse stats in the aggressive red-green red -green decks, because that's how Death Touch works. Death Touch is okay as a form of evasion, but it's much better when it's just like bricking your opponent and leading to like a stall or trading off with their more expensive creatures such that you can get to your late game. Fang and Shigeki doesn't hit very hard. If you're short on one drops and have like, you know, coiling oracles or coiling stalkers rather that you want to enable, you can use Fang and Shigeki. It's not like an embarrassing card or anything, but I would prefer Iron Apprentice and Simeon Sling if I'm anywhere near this aggressive space that I would like to be in. Simeon Sling is the monkey that reconfigures for two and does damage to the opponent when it or the equipped creature gets blocked. Iron Apprentice is the one when artifact creature that puts it to plus one, plus one counter, something else when it dies. I, I would say that this like backbone of Iron Apprentice, Simeon Sling, and then Jukai Trainee, Coiling, Stalker, Aki Ember Keeper is like, those are the cheap commons that I want. And then going up the curve, I want Air of the Ancients as a much better three mana creature than the alternatives. That's the two, three that gets a plus one, plus one counter uh, when it enters the battlefield, if you have a modified creature. And then Jukai Preserver as the best four mana creature available. That's the uh, three, three enchantment creature that puts a plus one, plus one counter on a creature when you play it, you can channel it to get two plus one, plus one counters. And I'm pretty happy not playing any cards that are more expensive than that, but it's okay to have a few total of Harmonious Emergence, which is the enchant land that makes it a 4-3 Vigilance, Tales of Master Sushiro, the 5-mana green saga that puts one, plus one plus one counters on things, then becomes a 5-5 five, five Haste Vigilance, and Iron Hoof Boar, which is the 5-4 Trample Haste that you can channel for plus three plus one in haste. Those cards are all acceptable, like top-end finishers. They all have an immediate impact when you play them, which helps a lot when you're going to a little higher on the curve than you generally want to be operating. But I don't want to play so many of those cards that I feel like I have to play 17 lands. I don't want to play so many of them that it's going to be clunking up my early game. I really want to focus on getting creatures down early and pushing damage. The other cards I'm looking for are Voltage Surge and Kami's Flare as top priorities, and then Master's Rebuke as another acceptable removal spell. Kami's Flare and Voltage Surge, obviously Voltage Surge is cheaper, Kami's Flare pushes some damage, but Master's Rebuke works fine. Voltage Surge is the one mana, two damage, second artifact for four damage, Kami's Flare is three damage to a creature, if you have a modified creature, two to the player, and Master's Rebuke is uh, your creature deals damage to your opponent's creature for an IT mana instant. You do want to have a good amount of these removal spells. You can supplement with tricks like the four mana enchantment that gives plus three plus three that you can uh, channel for plus three plus three. But I think the removal spells are better. I think that you don't have a lot of trample in this archetype and the removal spells are just so cheap that I don't feel like you get much out of the efficiency of playing a trick instead. And you push more damage if you can clear a blocker than if you let the blocker absorb the damage that would be done by your creature and then you use a trick. Also, I just think that for most of the game, your creatures are 
not getting outsized by your opponent's creatures like until they start flipping sagas or something. And so, you know, tricks are better when you're sending small creatures into big creatures. You're kind of like, you're playing cheap creatures, but you're doing it in a way where you make them grow. And so you're just like not getting outsized in a way that necessarily leads itself to like tricks being particularly useful. Aggressive deck, having some tricks is fine. Jukai Preserver is kind of naturally giving you some of that. Best to supplement with this like really efficient removal if you can. Take advantage of the fact that like red's biggest strength at common is that it does have these good cheap removal spells. Experimental Synthesizer is a bit of a weird one in that I don't really want to be investing my mana in card advantage. I want to be investing my mana in dealing damage. But Experimental Synthesizer is so good as card draw if your curve is really low that I think that it's, uh, Synthesizer is reasonable in this deck. But how much I'm going to prioritize it is really a function of like whether I have Voltage Surges or not, because it's really a lot better when you care about the fact that it's giving you an artifact sacrifice to make your Voltage Surges really good some portion of the time. I'm never going to be unhappy with Experimental Synthesizer, but it, like, you know, am I going to take Experimental Synthesizer over like a Simeon Sling or something is going to depend on whether or not I already have a Voltage Surge, basically. To be very, very clear about it, I think the top tier of commons, Kami's Flare, Iron Apprentice, Simeon Sling, Jukai Trainee, Jukai Preserver, Voltage Surge, the tier of commons below that, Coiling Stalker, Master's Rebuke, Heir of the Ancient Fang, Aki Ember Keeper, Experimental Synthesizer, Tales of Master Sushiro, Harmonious Emergence, Iron Hoof Boar, Fang of Shigeki, and then kind of like cards I would be willing to play in this archetype but not excited about include stuff like Fade into Antiquity, the Sorcery Speed, Disenchanted Exiles for three mana, Searchlight Companion, the three mana 1-1 one, one flyer that makes a 1-1 one, one spirit, Bearer of Memory, the 3-2 enchantment creature that can spend six mana to put a plus one plus one counter on an enchantment creature and give it trample until end of turn. Tameo Safekeeping, the one mana trick that gives something hexproof and indestructible and you gain two life. Tawashi Song Shaper, the one in red 2-2 artifact creature that gets plus one power when you play an artifact. Unstoppable Ogre, the 4-1 artifact creature that makes something unable to block when it enters. Favor of Jukai, the plus three plus three enchantment that you can channel as a plus three plus three trick. Gift of Wrath, the four mana enchantment that gives a creature plus two plus two and menace, and then it makes a two-two menace when it leaves play. And Crackling Emergence, the enchant land that makes it a three-three creature. And then when it dies, it the land stays and the enchantment goes away. That's kind of my breakdown of commons that I like. Really want, expect to fill out my deck, and then will play to fill out the last slots. Not a lot of notes on uncommons. Basically, the really good ones are the really good ones. You use the red X uh, deal damage to a creature spell really well in this deck because you have a modified creature basically all the time. So that inefficient removal spell becomes an efficient removal spell. So I think it's something you actively want. It's really a nice perk for red green because I think it goes pretty late most of the time because I think it's like playable but bad in the archetypes where it's inefficient and then playable and actively good when it's efficient and it's basically only efficient in red green. The X red DLX damage to a creature, X plus two if you have a modified creature. Flame discharge. Oh, anytime I mention red green, people bring up hot springs a lot. I don't think hot springs is a big deal. I think that Hot Springs is an acceptable, playable, I would consider it like in the tier two of commons 
I don't think it's in any way like the card that red green hinges on. I don't think it's like a great reason to draft red green. It's possible that the like more mid-rangey, more expensive red green decks actually like it more than red green the way that I play it because I'm mostly playing one and two mana creatures that, you know, you can play hot springs and then start pumping those creatures and that's cool. But you want a lot of the value to come from like more expensive stuff having haste. And if you're not trying to play more expensive stuff that doesn't have haste anyway, it's not giving you it, like you're not getting all that much value out of haste. So I don't know. I think invigorating hot springs, okay card, nothing special. And then, you know, I'm I think that it's better in kind of these like worse red green decks that are like mid-range rather than hyper aggro. And even there, like his stats across the board in red green are thoroughly underwhelming so yeah hot, hot springs is fine it's not like bad to put in your deck it's just whatever so it like for example if you're wondering like when should i draft red green and why is hot springs a reason to get into red green no hot springs is not a reason to get into red green hot springs is like it's not even really a reward for it being red green it's just a play if, if you happen to be in red green and you see it Maybe you'll take it. Maybe you'll put it in your deck. It'll be fine. As far as like, well, when and why should you be red green? I don't know. I've mostly been red green when I've felt like trying it. I don't think that there are very many situations where the draft naturally leads you into red green. Like the red cards, like basically, you know, the thing that you get out of being red green is Air of the Ancient Fang is actively good in your deck. Master's Rebuke. Or, I mean, uh, Kami's Flare, rather, does some extra damage. Aki Emberkeeper and Coiling Stalker are playable cards. Like, the payoffs for being red-green are just underwhelming. They're fine and they're worth picking up because, you know, like, well, nobody wants Air of the Ancient Fang and no one wants Coiling Stalker. So you should be able to get a bunch of these cards that you want really, really late. And if a lot of them happen to be open at your table and you put these synergies together, your deck might be totally solid. But just when you compare the reward of red-green going well to the reward of other colors going well, the like gains that you're getting from the synergies you can put together are not as big. So as far as like why would you be red-green, maybe you opened exactly Thundering Raiju and you want it to work well, or maybe you just got a bunch of good red and green uncommons early. But I don't think that there are that many drafts where this is what you should be. I think that like there are better ways to maximize most of the commons that you would want to take early that would put you into these into this space. So I, I think that this like is pretty French. So given that. I've talked about this like one way of drafting this super fringe deck where you try to be really aggressive. I think that it's worth noting that there is a different way to navigate a draft where you've started with good red and green cards that I think is likely better. So I think a lot of the time that you end up in a spot where you're like, okay, I have some red and green cards I'm going to play. It's because you've got some powerful red and green uncommons, like the archer, like the the four mana three two archer that does two damage something um, with re it has reach channels for two damage something in red. Like if you have that thing, and then you have you know just some random good 
green uncommon twin shot sniper. Um, if you have twin shot sniper and then some green uncommon, there's a reasonable chance some of the best green uncommons like Besage Usaga and Blossom Prancer are not at their best in red green because they want to play more of a slower mid range game. And I don't think that like a slow mid range game is how you maximize the red and green commons. If you have powerful red cards and powerful green cards, then I think you want to try to build a powerful deck. If you're trying to build a green deck that has a lot of power in it, as I've gone over in other podcasts, I think that you want to play more than two colors. I think that I've mentioned that in general, in the multicolor space, I try to avoid red. I try to draft, you know, the other color combinations that aren't red and any combination. But if you happen to get some of the, you know, good red cards, the good uncommons, or just some of the common removal, I've actually come around to thinking that Jund in particular is really strong. And I think that what's going on there is you want to use exactly Experimental Synthesizer, Voltage Surge, and Kami's Flare as the red commons that you play. It's okay to maybe have an Iron Hoof Boar or whatever, but mostly you just want exactly Voltage Surge, Kami's Flare, and Experimental Synthesizer in red. And then you're using Experimental Synthesizer as an artifact for Kami of Terrible Secrets. And then you probably also want Terrarium as mana fixing for your three-color deck, an artifact for your Kami of Terrible Secrets, and an additional artifact that you can sacrifice to Voltage Surge. And then Red-Black by itself can struggle to take advantage of Kami of Terrible Secrets due to failing to find enchantments. But green gives you access to more enchantments to enable your Kami of Terrible Secrets. And then you can also use Commune with Spirits both to fix your mana and to help find your enchantments so that if you only have like seven enchantments in your deck, you still reliably have an enchantment. And uh, the synthesizers really, really help on just getting good sticky artifacts for your mid-range Kami of Terrible Secrets deck that are hard to, like, artifacts are generally the hard part of Kami of Terrible Secrets, especially in black-green decks. I think Jund is just a really, really good uh, way to enable that. Incidentally, at the time of recording this podcast, I have just finished a 7-1 draft with exactly this. It was the only red cards there were two experimental synthesizers and like one other card and it was also splashing blue but it, it was a five Kami of terrible secrets deck that was really 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 good at turning them on like i had seven or eight artifacts and enchantments because of the the bump that i got on my artifacts from experimental synthesizer and i played super well all of my cards drew cards and were two for ones and i just buried all my opponents so i i think that Moving forward, or just in general, if I'm trying to play red and green cards together, I would most likely look to use Experimental Synthesizer and Red Removal as a like pretty light red splash in a three-color deck. Note that there's something unusual going on here where people generally play Experimental Synthesizer in decks with super low curves, and I'm talking about playing in a deck with a higher curve where you're basically like 
only playing it early if you need to play it early to enable Kami of Terrible Secrets. And then most of the time you're just holding it as like late game card advantage and that's fine. So Jund is like a little bit of a different topic from Red Green, but uh, it's certainly not going to get its own episode at this point. And thought it was worth mentioning if you're trying to figure out, you know, how to navigate a draft where you start red and green cards. I think that that deck is generally better than the like straight red green aggro deck and uses cards that you're more likely to want to take early anyway. So something to look for. So uh, I think that covers what I have to tell you about red green. So I'm going to turn it over to Twitch chat for questions. If you have any questions, whether you've asked them or not, post them in chat. Uh, while I'm waiting for people to hit me with those, I do want to thank my newest patrons this week, uh, Ben, Hatu, and Joshua. Thank you very much for the support. If anyone else is interested in checking out the benefits and supporting the program, check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. All right, questions. Do you think red-green is a good backup plan if you're trying to go mono-red and worried about making playables? Seems like a lot of those tier 2 commons will be available on the wheel. Yes. In an archetype that is trying to, you know, make its bread and butter off late pick commons, definitely the most likely way that you can really end up there and take advantage of that is if you can stay mono and shift into it, like, because late in the pack, you were either mono green and you saw some late, you know, simian slings and Aki Ember Keepers, or you were mono red and you saw late coiling stalkers and era of the ancient fangs. Those are really good ways to pivot from, yeah, I'm this like aggressive one color deck, but you know, I'm not seeing literally mono. I want to find a backup color. Oh, these cards that are synergistic with my aggressive one color deck are still here late. Great. I'll take those. The fact that they're all, you know, wheeling means that I'm reasonably likely to see more of this stuff. I definitely think that like, you know, a lot of it's going to be like, oh, early, what are the like really good uncommons that put you into this space? But as I was talking about, a lot of the like best green uncommons aren't this like really aggressive kind of card. So yes, very, very much. I think the most likely way to end up here is to kind of like fall into it on the back end of the pack where all these commons that you want to get for free come to you for free. And it's not like a commitment that you make early in the draft. It's something that just kind of happens. So uh, yeah, great point there. Given that the red-green plan is to play creatures and attack early, should sagas other than Kimono Faces Kakazan and Tales of Master Shiro be deprioritized? Those two both help enable attacks with plus one plus one counters and then with haste, but the other saga is too slow. Yes, I do not think that Azusa's Many Journeys or Beseju are good sagas in this deck. I think that, like, Azusa's Many Journeys is a stronger card than, for example, Jukai Trainee, but I would literally take Jukai Trainee over Azusa's Many Journeys uh, if I knew that I was red, green, aggressive. And I, I think that you generally want to avoid putting Azusa's Many Journeys in your red, green aggro deck. You're not really going to take advantage of playing extra lands because your curve is low. You want to be attacking early. You don't care about gaining life. It's completely the wrong direction. So yeah, if you have those like more powerful sagas, play a 
different strategy. Get some more colors in your deck. Ever right to put Skyscraper in the aggressive version of Red Green if you have a ton of modified enablers? You know, I think it is. I don't know for sure. I haven't had it, it or been in that spot yet, but I I actually think that like the good version of this deck is so good at getting modified creatures that it's not that hard for me to imagine casting it with four lands in play and very easy to cast it with five lands in play. And I think that it's a good card if you can cast it with four or five lands. Also, incidentally, if I were playing Skyscraper, I would be a little bit happier about putting Tamiya Safekeeping in my deck. And yes, I do think Skyscraper... <clears throat> having Skyscraper, like, there is appreciable synergy between Skyscraper and Hot Springs, such that if you have either one, you want the other one more. Next question, thoughts on Roaring Earth? I think Roaring Earth is a really bad card. I think that if you like memes, you can play Roaring Earth. If you have the like Kadama of the whatever tree it is that gets lands when or the yeah, the 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 get land three three mythic. But I don't think that you should play Roaring Earth in your red green decks. I think that if you have like a lot of Iron Apprentices, it might be forgivable. I think that in general, the card that most improves Roaring Earth is geothermal kami so that you can play roaring earth get some counters out of it pick it up with with geothermal kami and then animate a land but i don't think that your red green deck really wants to play geothermal kami so i don't think that you should be playing roaring earth next up if you have enough enchantments does generous visitor have a place in this deck if you barely have enough enchantments generous visitor has a place in this deck a one one that like puts a counter on something once is like pretty good if you get a second counter out of it it's great i i think that like you you really need your generous visitor to be like kind of passable to be happy with it in red green is tamiya safekeeping worth it in more aggressive red green build tamiya safekeeping i have is like a bottom tier playable i would probably prefer you know like an iron hoof boar or uh, maybe even favor of Jukai type trick that'll let me push damage. But the more I have like some particularly important creature, like if I'm playing the 8-8 Skyscraper or Thundering Raiju or something, I'm happier about Tamiya's safekeeping. But for the most part, I am not that excited about Tamiya's safekeeping here. But it's, you know, it's a good card. It's just not quite aggressive enough. It's better for kind of like turning the corner when you're trying to block and not so great for pushing damage. Next up, any thoughts on Gift of Wrath? Gift of Wrath is another, you know, like low tier playable. It's a little expensive. By the time it's coming down, I think that, you know, your opponent can often block the thing that you put it on. I think it's fine. If I wanted more four drops and there was less competition at four, I might be happy about it, but that's not really the case. So I think it's just like, it's not bad if you play one of these. Uh, next up, how do we maximize Jukai Trini in, in this deck? I would recommend casting it on turn two and then attacking with it. It's a really simple card. Sometimes you like put counters on it, but it's really like, it's it's just in the deck to be a curve filling good attacker. Question here is what signals would pull you into red green in a, in a draft? This was kind of covered in the first question where I think that the best way to end up red green is if you are red or green and then see a lot of the like 
commons that are good in the archetype that are late picks at the end of the pack where you get them for free because there's nothing else good in the pack. And then you just like fall into it because the commons that you want that other people don't want are there. Like the strength of red and green is that it uses unwanted cards. If you have to spend picks on unwanted cards, you're not really getting anything out of that fact. If you get to spend all of your picks on like premium removal and good uncommons and stuff, and then your creature base is just coming to you in the back half of the pack for free, then your deck might be pretty good. So where a lot of the time you should be getting into your archetype because of like strong uncommons with red green, I think that you should be getting into your archetype because you had been monocolor and in the back half of the pack, you see that the second of the two colors is open and the right cards were opened at the right time to just be there for you for free at the end of the pack. Next up, would you ever play cards that barely do more than enable modified, like Grafted Growth or Terrarium? No, I don't think you have to work that hard to get your modifications. Yeah, you just don't want to spend that much mana on that little damage output. Just prioritize Iron Apprentices and Simeon Slings and Coil and Stalkers and your stuff will just be modified anyway. Which red-green cards seem like they would be good in this deck, but aren't actually good? I think the answer to that is mostly the expensive ones. I think this deck has a lot of support at the top, like uh, Jukai Preserver, Harmonious Emergence, Tales of Masters, Shiro, Iron Hoof Boar, and, you know, to some extent, Gift of Wrath in favor of Jukai. And then there are just like other kind of just like generically good uh, four and five mana green cards. And I think that it's not so much that those cards are individually bad in the archetype as it is that it's really, really easy to just let yourself play too many of those and then have a deck that's not doing anything. If you have a substantially lower curve than your opponent, you're good at pushing damage. You have like a plan to win. If you have the same curve as your opponent, but you have like just like less card advantage than they do, you're probably not going to win. And I think that it's just really hard for, you know, a mid-range red and green cards to compete with like mid-range black cards. Like, how are you winning with red and green if your opponent's playing like the Virus Beetles and Kami of Terrible Secrets? And how are you winning with red and green if your opponent's playing like Spirited Companions and Impure Oaths? Like the, these mid-range decks just get out, outvalued by black and white mid-range cards. So you need to not play a mid-range deck. So you need to play a low curve. So the trap is just like not being aggressive enough. Next question. Does that mean I would draft favor of Jukai over Geothermal Kami? And the answer is yes. I, I'm not excited about playing either one, but if I have to play one of them, I would usually rather play the favor. All right. I'm going to wrap this up here. Uh, we still have a few more uh, weeks of Neon Dynasty kind of winding down as uh, previews for New Capenna start rolling in, but uh, still time to cover, I think, the last few archetypes. At some point, I need to, like, you know, take a couple minutes and sit down with the calendar and see if we're going to get to everything or not. But just a few archetypes left, a uh, little bit longer to round out Neon Dynasty, and then we can get into new Capenna stuff. Thanks for hanging out. And I will be back next week with another one of our last few archetypes. Have a good week, everybody.